Psalm 5, 7, and 8, it says, Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. Would you do that in us and through us, among us, as we declare our faith in this place in this time? He's our Father everlasting the faces of our faith. Let's sing it. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, Claire, wherever you're at. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. our great defender. We declare it in faith, even now. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated Holy Spirit, our God is three. 
amazing thing that the God of all power, the God of all might, all strength, He is with you even now. Whatever situation you're facing, He will make a way. God's word is true. We can stand upon His promises today. Lord, help us to trust and to see you moving in our midst and in this place. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that we would understand all the things, the difficult things around us. We be a people filled with hope, guided by the light of your truth. Would you do it in us, oh God? You are here. You are here. You're moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working in this place. I believe it. I worship you. I worship you. This is who he is. Let's declare it. Miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. It's good news today. He's the way maker. Way maker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you He's here, are. touching every heart. You are here. You're touching every heart. I worship you. Yes, I worship you. You are here. You are here. Healing every heart. I worship you. Oh, I worship you. By his strength, by his spirit, you are here. You are here. You're turning lives around. I worship you. Stop, you never stop working Even when I 
thank you, Lord, for that promise that you are at work, that the good work that you've begun in us, you will bring to faithful completion in Jesus Christ. And today we remember that the ultimate expression that you are not yet finished, that your work is not yet done, is that we look to the hope of the resurrection. We remember now, we think about those of our brothers and sisters who've fallen asleep in Christ, that they will rise one day to meet you face to face, living with eternal life. We look forward in that hope in our lives that we would live lives of resurrection power. Oh Lord, we believe it. So let's sing it. I believe in life eternal. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of we trust Jesus. your name for I believe. For I believe in the name of For I believe in the name of Jesus. So we put our hope, our trust, our gaze, and our attention on the power and the beauty of that name above every other name. Be pleased. Be pleased with our worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord. Welcome back to our study in Acts. So glad that you're joining us, whether you're in a small group, you're doing it by yourself, whatever it might be. Um, I applaud you for your faithfulness to look at the early church. When I first came to Christian Assembly, lo, those many years ago, with my family, we just come back from overseas. It was Bud and I and our three-year-old son, Matt. And we came to Christian Assembly. And I know a few people from college, but it was a brand new church. And this couple, who are still a part of CA, Richard and Shirley Rogers, were the very first ones to invite us over to dinner. And they treated us like they'd known us forever. And even with Matt, they were so good to him. And, um, and even to this day, I remember that piece of hospitality as being so welcoming and the beauty of what the church is. Um, about 25 years ago in November, I had major surgery and came, actually came home from the hospital on uh, Thanksgiving Day. And uh, a gal from the church brought us Thanksgiving dinner. About a week later, a few days later, four of my friends came over with uh, aprons on with pockets filled with M&Ms and because they were those kind of girls, and they cleaned my house. It's very humbling to lay on a couch and have people getting your dust bunnies and moldy cheese out of the fridge or whatever. But it was, it was the beautiful, beautiful church at work. Years later, after I had been on staff uh, for a couple of years, being the only woman pastor on staff, when there was an issue with a woman in the church, I'm, I took care of it. I was asked to take care of it. There was, 
one season in particular, a woman who loved singing in the choir, but her clothing style was not necessarily appropriate to be up front. And she loved the music and could not stand still while she was singing. And some of the men in our church were uh, particularly struggling. Um, so I was asked to talk to her. My encouragement and advice was not well received. The church can be messy. One Sunday years ago, Mark Pickerel was preaching, and this was when cell phones were just coming into vogue, and cell phone went off. And that's not uncommon, but it just kept going. And he finally said, could you turn the cell phone off? After the service, a gal came up to him and said, you totally embarrassed my boyfriend. We're never coming back to this church. Mark said he was sorry, but that he didn't back down, that they couldn't have their cell phone ringing, and they left the church. Church can be really messy. I can tell you on that, they came back about three years later, never said anything, just came in, start hanging out, we're part of the church again. Years ago, when I first started preaching at Christian Assembly, after a sermon, uh, I got a letter, this is pre-email, I got a letter in the mail, just a short paragraph, and a man in our church said, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. I wish I could get that 30 minutes back. <laughs> Needless to say, the church can be painful. Every couple of weeks in the last several months, I take a few bags of groceries down to the church because Christian Assembly has a ministry called Prayer and Pantry that they started during this pandemic. And so my mom and I buy the groceries and take them down. And one day I went through uh, with a family that was picking up groceries and just watched the way every volunteer loved on these people. There were prayer teams who stood back from the car with masks, but prayed for, for that family, for God to meet whatever needs they had. It was beautiful. I saw, I saw people in the cars like crying, just so touched by the Holy Spirit saying exactly the right thing through these people that were praying. I was so struck by how beautiful the church is. When we're functioning, the church is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful group of people. The church here and around the world is a beautiful, hot mess. Why? Because there are people in it. Sorry, church doesn't exist without people. And it's not just those people. It's us, human beings. Are a beautiful hot mess. In Acts chapter 4 verses 32 through 35 we get a picture of the church. It says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This is a beautiful picture of the first church. They had one heart, one mind, and they shared everything. That's unity. And as a result, they testified with power and many were added to faith and to the church. That's purpose. Acts 5, which 
uh, you probably looked at this week, I want to give you a synopsis of the church. And I have a visual aid. This is the mess of the church, and this is the beauty of the church, okay? In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles, then they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were filled with pride, ooh, we're awesome, and pretense, look what we did. But the first church was filled with healings and miracles and were highly thought of in their community. And the high priest, his posse, and the Sadducees were jealous. So the apostles were arrested. But an angel let them out. And the guards brought them back. But they brought them back without force because they were so highly thought of the apostles were that they didn't want the people to rebel against them. Then they were brought before the Sanhedrin again. Now, I can't tell you if this is good or bad, but I'll tell you this. This is what they said to the apostles. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, that's a testament. They had filled Jerusalem with this man's teaching, meaning Jesus. But I want to point this out. They said, you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, this is just a side, but I thought it was very interesting. In Matthew 27, 20, it says, The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. This is where Pilate offered to have somebody released from prison and says, You want Barabbas, this really bad guy, or just this Jesus that has not really done anything? And it was the spiritual leaders who talked the people into saying, no, we want Barabbas let free, crucified Jesus. Then in Matthew 27, 25, when Pilate says, I'm going to wash my hands of this, they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. They had made the decision to take on the guilt, and now they were blaming the disciples. There was a man inside the Sanhedrin, one of the leaders named Gamaliel, who said this, Leave these men alone, let them go, for their purpose or activity is of human origin. It will fail if it is a, sorry, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God. What a proclamation, right? And then at the end of the fifth chapter, it says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What a beautiful picture of the church. Not easy. It was a mess the way they were treated, the way that religious leaders, the religious leaders are the ones who came after the apostles. Being the church, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, we're called the family of God, a building where Jesus is the cornerstone. That's who the church is. And being the church is a glorious and challenging adventure, a beautiful, beautiful, hot mess. 
We look a few years later and see another picture of the early church. The city of Corinth was very important, very important city in that culture, but it was known widely for its idolatry and sexual immorality. I mean, it was famous for it. And Paul is writing to this little place of light, this church in the city of Corinth. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord, Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Right in the middle of this dark and difficult and hedonistic town is this church, this beautiful, gifted church. Well, you know what Paul's purpose in writing to this church was? It wasn't just to tell them how great they were. He had to address issues of division, immorality, litigation in pagan courts, taking each other to court, and abuse of the Lord's Supper. The church in Corinth, Corinth was beautiful, and it was a hot mess. We see the same thing in all of Paul's letters. Paul loved the church. He also understood human beings, even Christ followers like us. We are a beautiful, hot mess. So what do we take from this? Acts shows us two important facets that we find in the early church and are still our assignment today. The first is this, we are called to unity. Jesus' final prayer before he went to the cross was for us, those who would later believe from the testimony of the apostles and on generations. And his prayer was that we would live in unity. In John 14, verse 22 and 23, he says, I have taken them, meaning us, the glory you gave me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Then in John 13, 35, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our unity is vitally important, and that's why it's hard. Disunity comes because we're different, and that's not a bad thing, but we act like it is. We have disunity because we're afraid someone else is getting more attention, or we're afraid maybe their viewpoint, which doesn't agree with our point, our viewpoint is going to be most important, that it's going to win the day. We get jealous because we don't feel seen or heard. There are so many reasons why disunity wants to break into every church. There's also the enemy, the devil, Satan, the enemy of our soul, the one who does not like Jesus. And he is always looking for those little cracks in us in our faith and commitment to Christ that he can use to cause disunity. 
In James 4, verses 1 to 3, he says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You know, the good and the bad inside of us arguing. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now this is a pretty sad <laughs> picture. And you say, well, I've never gone to war over one of my ideals. But within a church, a local church context, think about the times that you're just mad at someone, that you just don't want to be in the same room, or you, don't want, to, you want to make sure that you don't sit kind of where they do, or you don't want to sit across because CA sits in the round room. You don't want to look across at them. All of that is disunity. And all of it diminishes the testimony of the church. Not big church, as like in a big testimony, which it does, but ours. It diminishes our voice. It takes from us the power to tell Jesus' story effectively. Unity is only possible with grace, forgiveness, really the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow, that's top ten. There's only nine, but we'll put grace in there. It's like with those things, only with those things, are we going to make a difference? With that kind of unity, it's the only way we can be able to live together, work together, worship together, is with unity. And the Holy Spirit in you, that's what he's developing. That's what he's striving for, is to make those things, what the Bible calls in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, making those things true in us, making them stand out in us. Again, the challenge for us is to lean into Jesus, to let the Holy Spirit do his work. The second thing after um, unity is purpose. Just as with the first church, we are called to share what we know about Jesus. We're God's ambassadors, his agents, if you will, on the planet. And we're asked to tell what we know. Not preach. You don't have to stand on a street corner in a foil hat like a guy used to do when I worked downtown LA. You don't have to do that. But what is it you know from your own experience? What is it you know about Jesus? I know that he is present in my darkest hour because I've experienced it. I know that God can heal a very broken marriage. I know that God forgives big and small offenses. I know that the Holy Spirit is alive and well in me, and if you're a Christ follower, in you, which gives us an automatic basis for unity. I know those things, not because I've read them in a book, but because they're my experience. I love at Christian Assembly on um, baptisms, how we have people tell their own little story, a part of their story, because they also always say, this is what was true of me before I came to Christ. This is what is true of me now and is becoming true of me even more every day. Families being healed, lives being turned around. Those stories are our story. That's our purpose 
God didn't just come after you and save you and call you so that you could be happy. No, happy's okay. Never says that's God's first priority for us. But there is this place of blessedness and what we experience of who He is, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So you're talking to a neighbor, a coworker, a family member who's suffering, despondent, whatever it might be. Can I pray? God hears prayer. Don't know how He'll answer it. But He says we can ask. And so I'm praying for you. And that's our story. That's what we get to tell others. We're also asked to live as though we believed in a loving, gracious God. We're called to be light and salt in the world. Are we? Are we light in dark places? Are we salt that flavors life and also keeps it from rotting? We're asked to love our enemies. Do we? Do you? Do I? We're told to forgive. It's oh, a hard one. Do we? Do you forgive? Those who you know, even when I said we're to forgive, there's somebody that came to mind. I, I know you've got lots of reasons for not forgiving. But the Bible says if we don't forgive, then the forgiveness we get from God isn't alive in us. It's not working in us. So we are to forgive. Are you praying for our president and other political leaders? Hoy, what an issue. Especially right now. What a season. And we have all this politics. And politics for us in America is a lot of vitriol. It's just a lot of anger. You can't tell a lie from the truth. But what we're told to do is to pray for our leaders. Are you a good citizen of our nation? Meaning, do you do... Because I'm not just telling you I think you should do this. I'm talking what the Bible says. Like, do you pray for leaders? Do you obey laws? Do you um, vote? That kind of thing. Are you taking care of our planet? This beautiful place God's given us. Those are the kinds of things that other people see. That the world around you, your neighbors, your family that doesn't know Christ, that's what they're looking at. They're not just listening to your words. Do you and I look any different than those around us who don't even know Jesus? Being God's people, the church, has purpose beyond just our being able to get together and worship and love on each other. There's a greater purpose. It's a beautiful thing to see the kingdom of God come to the earth, even through people who are a hot mess. If you go to Christian Assembly this last, um, uh, back in August, uh, Tom preached a sermon on the church. He did two weeks on our plan and that kind of thing. But I love when he talked about how at Christian Assembly, the kids who attended VBS or the students who did summer camp online, our numbers are up. People are finding Jesus in the midst of one of the oddest times, at least in my lifetime, that I've ever seen the church face. And in the midst of that, the church has an opportunity to be the church the way the first church was where we look out for one another, where we're impacting our community because we're stuck in our communities. We don't get to go get together all to, in our church building and then go back to some other life during the week. No, our life is all in the same place. But we are the church. It doesn't change us being the church. Can you imagine an army or a team that operates as individuals with no thought for the others? 
how will they accomplish anything? I used to play softball and uh, love softball. But what if ball came to me, I got it, and I looked at the first baseman and said, I'm not throwing it to her, I don't like her. I just don't like her. Well, that doesn't help the team, does it? I lose because I'm on the team. We do that so many times where an old saying, cut off our nose despite our face, meaning that we do the small thing we think doesn't hurt us, but it is hurting us. How about in families where there's no grace or kindness? How will we ever become people who can make a difference? How will our family ever touch the world around us or extended family if we don't know the purpose for which we're called? We are the church. We're the body of Christ. The Bible says he's the head and we're the body. That means we do what the head says. A body that's coordinated that if I want to do this, it's my head told my hand to do that. The church has an assignment and it requires that we engage with one another well so that we can engage with the world around us. Bottom line, we need to learn to love one another to be the beautiful part of the church so that we can impact the world. We will not be perfect. I don't think we will. I'm a woman of a certain age and I find that I still have a lot that I'm learning and growing in. So if I haven't attained perfection, I'm just hoping that nobody does or I'm a big loser. So I'm a hot mess. There is plenty of pain to go around these days. I personally have friends who are battling cancer, caring for ailing parents. They've lost their job right in the middle of a pandemic. People who are looking for work so that they can support their family. Women working from home, caring for little ones and trying to homeschool their children. Teachers trying to lead classes of 20, 30 more students online while they have their own kids at home. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a kindergarten or first grade teacher and what it's like to try to do technology with them. I mean, they have the attention span of a gnat. And yet, that's what they're called to do. How do we do this? I can't fix it for a lot of those people, but I can pray. I can serve. I have friends, literally, God woke me up in the middle of the night, and I was thinking about them because they're just, they've gone through a death in their family and sickness and parents with dementia. It's just a really hard season. And in the middle of the night, I woke up and I just thought, bread. So I got up the next day and I made them bread. I like to make bread. I can't eat it, but I like to make bread. And bread felt like love to me that day. Just went and dropped off all over bread. Didn't change their circumstances. No, don't call me. I'm not going to make you bread. That's not the point. Just saying that whatever it is God puts in your heart, we can love and support and be the church this beautiful, hot mess grounded in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit is God's plan A. It's not an afterthought. We are God's plan A for the world. We're God's answer to the needs of the world around us. It's us, Christ in us, that is the hope of glory. The Bible says that. It's a frightening thought to me. Really, this ragtag group of people who love Jesus. Yes. What a mess. What a beautiful, beautiful, hot mess.
Pray with me. Father, thank you that you're such a gracious God. You choose people like us, like me, broken as I am, to be your person on the planet. May we hear your voice as you call us to love well. May we be bold to do what you call us to do. May we truly be light and salt and grace to a world around us, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our United States and the world, who truly, if ever there were a time where we need grace and kindness and goodness, may your church, starting with us, be that force on the planet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.